back to 1 Corinthians. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord Jesus, bring clarity, bring succinctness, and bring power that changes lives through your word. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, remember, this is, what, this is week three. Paul begins with this typical greeting to this Corinthian church. Love you guys. You are saints in Christ, grace and peace to you. I'm so thankful for the grace of God that I see in you, that confirms you as God's people. You are a church growing in the grace of God. Last week we saw there were divisions in this church. They all had different ideas about what the church should be, what the church should look like, and they all had different leaders. They had chosen for themselves to, to lead these different ideologies of what the church should look like in the context of their city that was Corinth. And what Paul says, he reminds them, is Christ divided? Which, of course, the answer is no. So the problem's not with Christ. The problem's not with the gospel of Christ. So therefore, the problem must lie in the church itself. Anytime we read the Bible and we go, ooh, it's because we are the problem. God is not the problem. His gospel's not the problem. It is we who make up the saints of God that are the problem. So Paul now moves into a lengthy diatribe in order to fix the problem that's causing the divisions in this church. And everybody's at fault. Those who are following Apollos are at fault. Those who are following Peter are at fault. He, he even, the people who are being loyal, that's when you know you got a gospel preachers. Because even when you're loyal to him and he still puts his finger in your chest with the gospel, that's a good dude, amen? amen. Even his own followers, he's like, look, you're not right either. No division in Christ. And this diatribe is going to take us all the way to chapter 4. So we're going to be in this a good several weeks, and it's so important. Let's begin in verse 18. The word of the cross, the gospel we proclaim, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the word of the cross, of Christ is, now underline, circle, however, I got it circled in mine, I got word of the cross underlined, however you've done it and learned to do it in your, the way you study God's word, is folly. Make note of that word. It's foolishness, it's stupid. Doesn't make sense. To who? To those who are perishing. Something you need to, Put into your theological grid right now. Just in case we got a heretic universalist in here. Not everybody's going to heaven. Not everybody has the right way. Not everybody thinks the right thoughts. Not everybody's ideology is correct. There are those who think Jesus and his gospel is nothing but 
foolishness and those are people who are perishing. There is a real place called hell where you will eternally be separated from God and everyone going there thinks Jesus is a bunch, a load of of nonsense. That's why in your conversations, if you bring up Jesus and people roll their eyes, if people look at you like you're from a, a different time, if they call you names, be, don't be surprised and just know the person you're talking to is perishing. It's folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us being saved, it is the power, now underline that word, power of God. Isn't it amazing how the same message The same sermon preached, the same word of the cross. Some people can roll their eyes to while other people fall on their knees, broken, weeping in worship to God. Some are going to be, there's a place called heaven. It's a real place. It's an eternal place. Hell and heaven are both eternal. One place is in the presence of God and one place is devoid of the grace of God. And people who are perishing roll their eyes at the word of the cross while people who are being saved by that same word find the power of God, a power they've never known or understood, a power that can change their own will. People want to talk about free will all the time. I want to talk about God's will. His will's better than our will. And that's the power of God When we hear the word of the cross that occurs now, folly and power. For the next several weeks, you're going to see some juxtapositions. You're going to see some some contrasts. The word folly or foolishness contrasted, juxtaposed uh, between wisdom. There's folly and there's wisdom. Then there's power contrasted with weakness. The world has an understanding of power. The world has an understanding of wisdom. And their system of power wisdom is going to be contrasted to the wisdom of God and the power of God. That's where we're going to be for the next several weeks. And these are some of the most important sermons, so germane, so relevant. 2,000 years ago, Paul is writing to a Corinthian church and it couldn't be more real for us right now in 2023. There's two ways. There's two wisdoms and there's two powers. One is true and one is false. One leads to life eternal. The other leads to perishing. 20 times we're going to see these in the next few weeks. 4, verse 19, it is written. Now let's read this. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise... And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart, I will crush, I will bring to nothing. Now, for the next several weeks, Paul is building. There's divisions in the church. Why? Because there's two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. And there's two kinds of power. The power of man and the power of God. One leads to death, one leads to life. 
And he grounds to end the divisions in the church. He grounds this lengthy diatribe in the Old Testament word of God from Isaiah chapter 29. Turn there with me if you, if you will. Because everything God speaks from Genesis all the way to the Revelation is true and in solidarity with itself. And if you've never read Ecclesiastes, you should, because what is old is new, what has been will be again. Human life just does this big loop over and over and over again. There's nothing new under the sun. That's why I love history so much. That's why I love the Old Testament so much. You can see the cycles of humanity over nothing. Oh, new gimmicks, new tricks, new designs. We've got technology and websites, right? There's seems new, but it's the same old stuff that's always been. So Paul grounds this New Testament teaching about the word of the cross that ends all divisions in God's people in what has been. And the context of Isaiah chapter 29 is God bringing judgment and discipline upon his people. Why? Because his people once again have turned away from him. I love the Old Testament over and over and over. God shows up. People worship him. Life gets better. Cities get built. Great things occur. Blessing and flourishing happen. And in that blessing and flourishing, we get distracted. We turn our attention and our focus off of God and we put, we take him off the throne of our hearts and we put lesser things there that now distract us from him. And so God, as the good father he is, says, I can't let this happen. Just like you're, because those things are going to disappoint my people. They're going to be empty. It's going to bring ruin and destruction. So God does something. What does he do? He gives them exactly what they want. So that they can learn, so that they can come to the end of themselves and realize what they thought they needed, what they thought they wanted, did not lead to the goodness that they had when they were in the presence of their God. We call that revival, amen? But before revival, the discipline has to come. So what does God say he's going to do? Look at verse 9. And sometimes I just love the way God talks. Now listen to this. Astonish yourselves and be as you're no longer in awe of me. Your eyes are no longer upon me. Your your eyes are upon yourselves. Your eyes are upon one another. So go ahead. Astonish yourselves. Be astonished with yourself. This is 3,000 years ago God is telling his people this. Could it be any more relevant to our culture today? Remember when there used to be that thing called a celebrity? Now everybody's a celebrity. You got guys that got 50 likes on their Facebook page. And I know nobody is on Facebook anymore except women. (laughs) Older women. (laughs) But that's my context. That's what I'm going to say. On tickety-tock or face my whatever They got 50 people following him, and whoa, look what I had for breakfast. Everybody's an influencer. 
We are all completely enamored with ourselves. That is part of the wrath of God now clearly seen in the world. That is God disciplining his church for taking their eyes off him and putting them on lesser things ourselves. Could this be more relevant? And God knows at the end of the day, eventually, you're going to realize you're not worth being a stuff. That's why we have cancel culture today. Isn't it amazing how somebody can be loved on Monday and completely dismissed by Thursday? Listen, that happened to Jesus. They cried, Hosanna, glory, be to God in the highest. By Friday, they were shouting, kill this guy, crucify him, put him on a cross. You think cancel culture's new? When we look at ourselves, we're astonished by ourselves. But ultimately, we, our heroes, our celebrities, and even us ourselves, we disappoint. God knows that. So he says, eh, this, is, this, is, this is irony. This is comedic relief. Go ahead. The God of the universe says to his creation, just wear yourself out with yourself. Blind yourselves and be blind. Do away with the truth, become blind, and just live in your blindness. Look at this next verse. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. Man, if there has ever been something that could precisely articulate where we're at in 2002-23. We got people walking around. They hadn't been drinking, but they are completely drunk in and of their own egos and their own value systems and their own ideologies, all that are less than the wisdom of God. For the Lord has poured out upon you. This is what God does to wake his people up, to get their attention, to return to me, to rebuild the ruins that lead to blessing and true life. The Lord has poured out upon you. He's talking to his people here. The Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads. Even the people who have the, the job title, they've got the badge that says prophet or seer. They're telling you to go this way. They're telling you to go that way. But they're doing it in their own head, in their own wisdom, not in the wisdom of God. That they're seeing what they want for the future, not what God sees for the future. And they're continuing to lead the people astray. And all of them are just in this deep sleep. So I was studying this. I, I thought about Pleasure Island. How many of you, I haven't seen any of the new Pinocchios because I'm just over Disney completely. But, and I don't even know if Disney put out the new Pinocchios, so... There you go. My helper has it. But in the original Pinocchio, when I was a kid, the cartoon, there's a place called Pleasure Island. Distracts Pinocchio. He goes, and, and, and Pleasure Island is the place of, of deep sleep. And what happens at Pleasure Island to all the, the young boys that go there? They get so distracted, they lose track of time, and they're so enamored by the lights and the, 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 the rides and the, and the food that they become donkeys. Now, there's a better word, a, better, a more biblical word for donkey that every adult in here knows. That's what happens when we're enamored by ourselves, when God puts us into a deep sleep 
as we just give ourselves to the distractions that are around us. And even our leaders don't get it right. They're telling us the wrong things because they're distracted in their own distractions and in their deep sleep. This is what happens and this is what God does. And the vision of all this, verse 11, has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. For all you X-Files, somebody came up to me this morning and was like, thank you for the X-Files reference. For all you X-Files people, the truth is out there. (laughs) God's truth has always been there. But it's been sealed as he's allowed us into this deep sleep. And because it's sealed, when men give it to the one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I cannot. I can't, I, I, I have the ability to read, but I can't open the book. It's been sealed. Truth's been sealed up. Can't get to it. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, even if he could open the book, he doesn't have the skills or the ability to comprehend the truth. You know, that's why Jesus spoke in parables in the first century. Verse 13, and the Lord said, because this people, what was the problem? Why would God do, allow any of this to happen anyway? The people honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. They say godly things. How many of you in just the last couple months... You've heard politicians and influencers talk about immorality while promoting things that God calls immoral from his word. Oh, they they love to talk about God. They love to say God. They love to say God bless America. Man, there there is a spirituality There is a sense of religion and piety in what they're saying. But it's devoid of any real relationship or any real pursuit of the eternal creator God. It's a show. It's a ritual. They teach, they say fear God. But it's out of command to keep things in line, to keep things moving forward. It's not because... They're desiring the true wisdom that comes from God through proper fear and awe of him and who he is. It's just a show. Isn't it funny how still when important people die, when dignitaries and right, when, when great speeches need to be made, we're always in a chapel or in an abbey. People always read Bible verses. Welcome to Israel 3,000 years ago. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. Because what could change a society? What could change a church? What could change a people? God doing this to wake them from their deep sleep to bring us from ritual back into relationship. What is wonderful is, God will, the wisdom of their wise men, I'm going to cause to perish. And the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. This is the context. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians. What's going to fix the divisions? 
I'm going to tear down what the world thinks is wisdom and what the world thinks is power. I'm going to tear it down. I'm going to bring it low so that my true power and my true wisdom can be visibly seen again. And it's going to be a wonderful thing. Paul follows up verse 20 with four rhetorical questions. Paul loves the rhetorical questions. Why do we use rhetorical questions? Because people, they know that, Jeremy, I love you. People know the right answer. When you ask a rhetorical question, it's to show somebody how stupid what they just said is. That's why we use rhetorical questions. Where is the one who is wise? Now, again, this church in Corinth is made up of Jews and Gentiles. Most of those Gentiles being uh, the Greeks. And what are Greeks into? Right? The Jews had the Old Testament. That was their foundation, their tradition, God's word in the Old Testament. What did the Greeks have? They've got philosophy. They've got the writings. Well, they've got the teachings of Socrates as written down by Plato. And they've got uh, the pupil Plato, all of his teachings and his writings. And then they, they've got uh, uh, say, uh, Socrates, Plato, and pff, who's the third one that taught Alexander the Great? Aristotle, there you go. 140 years of combined teaching from Socrates to, to Aristotle. Which, by the way, in the last service, I mentioned I really was listening to Eugene Peterson and liking him. I meant Jordan Peterson. <laughs> I had four people come up to me and was like, you like Eugene Peterson? That's the dude that wrote the message. No, I don't like that guy. That's not who I'm listening to. The fallacy of not bringing notes and not being a manuscript preacher. The, the wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom through philosophy is what the Greeks were into. So they bring this value system into the church. I mean, Socrates is quoted as saying by Plato, uh, an unlooked uh, at life is not worth living. So it is the pursuit of human wisdom and human thought and rationality and human reason that brings meaning and purpose to life. Paul says, where is? Who is wise? Where is the scribe? Now putting his finger in the chest of the Jewish people. Scribes were the experts of the Old Testament law. They were the people when we had a problem. And how many of you have been in this situation where you're a Christian, somebody else is a Christian, and you've got a problem, but you both have a Bible verse to prove you're right? Nobody's ever been there? Okay, I'm the only, oh, whatever, bunch of sinners, liars. So what would they do? They'd go to the scribes, just like we go to lawyers today. They go to the scribes. And the scribes have to dig in and pontificate and figure out and which one is more right in, in the context of whatever sin has been committed. Where are the ones who are wise? I mean, as we look at it on our culture right now, where is the philosopher? Where is the legal expert? Where is the debater of this age? Where is that person? And you know, throughout history, there's always, every generation has that, that one guy that can, that can come up and make a speech. You've got to bring a nation together, bring a, a people together. Whether it's John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., Winston Churchill. There's been some great speechers, some great orators who are able in a dark time to, to bring people together. Paul says, where in Corinth is that person? Where's the great orator that can cease these divisions from happening among you? 
Because there were people in the church that thought they were the orator. There are people in this church that thought they were the scribe. There are people in this church that thought they were the wise philosopher who knew the right way and could lead the people. And that's why they're fighting one another. And Paul, through rhetoric, through rhetoric, through rhetoric, really? You guys have been trying. It's not working. So where really is the wise, the scribe? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? There is, we we just went through Exodus. God delivers his people from Egypt, but in the wilderness what we see is there's still a lot of Egypt in his people. They're his people, set apart for his purposes, but there's still got a lot of Egypt in them. Just like the church still has a lot of the world in it today. You all, you come to four points because we have less world in us than the church you came from. But we still got a little world in us too. Because we're not perfect. We need Jesus, his gospel to end our divisions. Has God not made, when when we try to adapt the wisdom of this world into the church, it's always going to cause division. Because our eyes are not on Jesus. It's on ourselves. It's on our legal abilities. It's on our uh, 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 ability to, to, to think we have the best idea. That's why I love it. When somebody half my age calls me up and says, we need to talk. I know exactly how you should pastor this church. <laughs> and I always say, have you ever been a pastor? No, but I have all the answers. I'm 25. Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Think about our world right now. You think about the peer-reviewed journals out there right now. You think about the big words. You think about the experts that you see on whatever uh, shows that you watch. And uh, sometimes, man, if you're reading the Bible, you should be able to step, step back there, whoever it is, and just shake your head and go, God, how is this guy getting paid for this? How is this lady, why is she on a talk show? God has made foolish. Why? Through the preaching, how? Through the preaching of our gospel. That is folly to them. I'll never forget it. This has been about 10 years ago. I watched a debate between John Lennox. Anybody ever heard of him? You had, if you hadn't heard of him, look him up. He was debating Richard Dawkins. One of these guys, he wrote a book called The God Delusion. He was a guy who claimed to be an atheist but spent his whole life trying, uh, talking about God and writing books about God. So even, even normal atheists were, were telling him, hey, dude, for somebody who doesn't believe in God, you sure do spend a lot of time thinking about him. But the reality is, as all atheists, they hate their dad, therefore they hate God, and they want to do away with all authority. That's what atheism is. All authority except for their own. In this debate, a great debate by two very intelligent, high IQ men. And then they get to the end, their closing statements. 
And John Lennox goes first, because the Christian always has to go first in the closing statements in a debate. I don't know if you know that or not. Nobody will debate a thoughtful Christian unless they get the last word. Whether it's Bill Nye. Anyway. So John Lennox in his, and this debate was just this, man, this tapestry of incredible thoughts of of life and God and humanity and society. It was just just this incredible conversation. John Lennox is a brilliant mathematician, just a brilliant guy. But in his closing statements, he just proclaims the gospel. He talks about the life, burial, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then, so it's time for Richard Dawkins. And here's what he says. He says, John, this is what I just don't understand. He said, you are a brilliant man. You have had mathematical ideas that have changed the world. You have written some of the, even in this discourse, I remember him saying, I have learned from you. I have enjoyed this dialogue so much. But what I don't understand is at the end of the day, you keep talking about this dead Jewish guy named Jesus. How can you be so smart and believe in some Jesus? And this is exactly what the wisdom and the power of the world would cause you to say and cause you to believe and cause you to think. It is folly to those who are perishing. Don't be surprised when they roll their eyes. This is the way that God has created it to be. Because the wisdom of this world built on ego, built on self, built on arrogance. I mean, think about the world we live in. A world that defies even nature itself. We're so smart now. We don't even know the difference between a boy and a girl. We are, man, we're really progressing. But you hear somebody talk about it. They go, they've created a whole new language to talk about a spectrum that doesn't even exist. And I, I don't say these things. If you're struggling, and I want young people in this room to listen to me right now. I don't... Everybody my age, do you remember back in the 80s when your parents got mad because you were watching The Breakfast Club? Right? 16 Candles. Some other Molly Ring, Weird Science. Remember how satanic Twisted Sister was? This is just teaching rebellion to children. Man, my dad went off on some Twisted Sister. How tame is that to what our children today are having forced down their throat? Every every young person in this room, you have been given options and anxieties that some of us have never had to deal with. The LGBTQ movement has been abysmal. Less than 3% of the population for as long as we've been tracking it. Your generation, 30% of you, 30%, that is unheard of and rapid growth. As instead of Twisted Sister, we have Sam Smith who now worships and glorifies Satan in front of cheering crowds. 
pushing down your throat. You got options. You're free. You can do whatever you want. And in your young, undeveloped minds, you think, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? You've got choices we never had. And we're all looking for meaning and purpose in our lives. And some of you are being deceived and tricked. Let me tell you something, though, about this community that, that has the stage of the world looking upon them and applauding them and glorying in their perversion and in their debauchery. Their suicide rates are 50% more than normal. And here's why. And this is why I need you to know, I'm not being harsh against this community of people. I'm actually being loving. You know who's harsh? Reality. Because you can pretend you're something you're not. You can chase after things you were never supposed to chase after. And you can think somehow, one more step, one more surgery, one more movement forward, one more partner. And I'm going to get there. I'm going to find what I'm looking for. I'm going to feel happy. But reality always hits you in the face when you're living an inauthentic life. And homosexuality and the trans is the most inauthentic a person can be. It's living a lie. And when you are smacked in the face with your own hypocrisy, a lot of people in that movement cannot handle it. South Park had it right way back in 2005. If you've seen that clip going around this week. I tell you that because I love you. Don't believe the lie. Oh, there is wisdom and there is foolishness. The world says this is wisdom. There's no rules. There's no nature. There's whatever you want. Space ball, unicorn. Woo! But reality always smacks you in the face at some point. And if you've put anything on the throne of your heart that is not God, you will be disappointed. Because the wisdom of this world is truly foolish. While the gospel we preach, they roll their eyes out, is actually the wisdom they think is foolish. Verse 23, oh no, 22, I don't want to miss this one. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Right? Greeks are all about the philosophy. Well, what wise statement can you say that's going to make me feel a little better about my life? That's going to push me forward into more meaning and more purpose. They're always looking for the philosophy. And Jesus came talking, drink my flesh and eat my blood. Take that, cut it, vice versa. Eat flesh and drink blood. That's hard to swallow for a philosopher. The Jews wanted signs. Where's the power? The Messiah is going to come with power. Remember, they had been under the thumb of other nations for hundreds of years. Not just the Romans, but the Seleucids before them. They have been under the thumb of other powers, not able to be their true Jewish selves. Hundreds of years. They're looking for a Messiah. What they see in the scriptures is what they want to see, not what's written. They want to see the Messiah come. That's why they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now when Jesus enters in the triumphal entry. They wanted to watch him pick up the emperor and just crush his head. But that's not what, that's what the world thinks power is. Show us a sign. Throw a lightning bolt. Bring deliverance now from whoever we think our oppressor is. And Jesus comes on a donkey. Jesus allows his own creation. See, the Jews just couldn't hang. It's a stumbling block to them. A Messiah 
who is murdered on a criminal's cross? That makes no sense in the Jewish mind. That's not power that God should have. That's weakness. See the contrast and how God behaves, what his power truly looks like. Because see, somebody's going to have to die. And I didn't talk about, I talked about it more in first service than I'm going to talk about it here, but I didn't even get into what I want. But here, let me give you three books that you need to read. Live Not By Lies by Rob Dreher. Strange New World by Carl Truman. Killian, what's that, what's that Joseph Boot book called? The Ruler, the Ruler of Kings. There are a lot of of godless people who believe they have the answers for society. But in their answers, guess what? It's always for the working man. It's always for the proletariat. It's always for the, the martyr. We're going to lift you up. And when you give their life, when you give your lives to them, they come into power. But guess what? They have to maintain that power. So more blood needs to be spilt. It's the way it works. Somebody's going to die for whoever's in charge. In any kind of man-made system. When you trust men and their wisdom, when you trust the intellectual elite of every generation, eventually they're going to ask you for your life. You're going to have to die for their will to power. But the gospel, the kingdom of God, is completely flipped. To give freedom, to show true power, he comes and dies for us. This is the difference. That's why you got to be, some people, you got to be so smart. What you listen to, what you're thinking about, what you believe about the church, about God, about the gospel, about society. There's one path to blessing and flourishing. And every time the church has been in revival, enlightenment has come, renaissance has come, reformation has come, and the world always gets better through these movements. And then people think they know best, and they get back in there, and the world gets worse. I mean, gas prices are as high as Hunter Biden is today. Somebody sent me that this week. I'm off track. Jesus is the answer. Some people are looking for power. I want God to show me power, then I'll believe. Some people are looking for the great wisdoms of the ages. And this guy who died on a cross 2,000 years ago doesn't sound, I don't want my life to look like that. It doesn't sound like true wisdom. And think about this for a second. If you're wearing a cross on your neck today, on a necklace, or maybe you got cross earrings on, if you showed up in the ancient world through some kind of wormhole or time warp, if it was possible, and you were wearing a cross around your neck, people would think you had lost your mind because the cross was the worst way to die, reserved only for the worst criminals. To wear it around your cross, around your neck as if it's glorious? completely for it's why the philosophers of the day are like we just don't get this jesus it would be equivalent to you coming in with an electric chair pennant on your necklace today that's what that cross is it's punishment for the worst of the worst folly to those who are perishing but we but to those verse 24 but to those who are called Underline that. 
Because this is the calling of God. Theologians call it the effectual calling. It's a calling that can't be resisted. It's the calling of Jesus to Lazarus who's been in the tomb for four days. He is dead. His choices are over. But at the voice and command of Christ, Lazarus, come forth. Life is breathed into that dead corpse. Right, sinew comes, forms together, decay ceases, and a full animation, regeneration occurs, and the dead come to life again. Why, does, why doesn't everybody believe that cross is folly? That's why it's the power of, it's not our power. It is the power of God to call and save a people unto himself in the midst of worldly wisdom and worldly power. It's a completely different kind of power to save a people in the wretched state that they're in. Watch this. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, because in the church there's all kinds of different kinds of people and they all got different kinds of traditions and cultures and ways. Oh, but those who are called, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Stumbling block, folly to those perishing. But to those of us, we see true power and true wisdom. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now this is rhetoric. God, there is no weakness in God, but if there was, his weakness would be stronger than the strongest of men. Now let's read verses 20. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Read verses 26 through 28. It's one thought. For consider your calling. So, but to those of us being called, who are called, consider this calling. Consider your salvation. Again, he's talking to a church with a lot of divisions. Brothers, he calls them all brothers. Consider this calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Now remember, he's talking to a, a young city, a newly formed city. There's no old money here. There's no old families here. There's no aristocracy. It's all new families and new money and new business. And a lot of people came with nothing but a dream. But in Corinth, they've been able to become something that they weren't. We're going to see in chapter 11, there's a lot of wealthy people in this church. But Paul says, remember where you come from. Remember how you were nobodies from nowhere before you had any kind of uh, blessing or flourishing in your life. But Underline this, God shows. We're going to see it three times here. God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Listen. Looks like we lost the culture or might as well just go sit in the corner, take our ball and go home, right? No, we've seen Rome and its power and its glory come to nothing. God loves through his foolishness to bring everything that is in this world, the wisdom of men and the power of men. He loves to bring it to nothing 
with his wisdom and his power by choosing the lowly. Think about how Jesus came. God becoming flesh doesn't come in a king's palace or to a noble. Well, he comes to the line of David, but he's a, his dad's a carpenter. from. They live in Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Born on the wrong side of the tracks, worked a blue-collar job. All, God does this from the beginning. Abram, a pagan Chaldean, God says, you, come here. Can Abraham make a nation out of himself? Can Abraham have more descendants than the stars in the sky by himself? No, God calls the lowly. And Ray, uh, down in McGavin called redemption and lift. God comes in because God chooses to take what is low and to show his wisdom and show his power. This is the way his gospel works in the world. Abram has a son. He's promised more descendants than the stars in the sky. And he's in his 90s without a child yet. Does he have any control? No, but God chose to bring Isaac, the son of promise, into his old age. Isaac has two boys, Esau and Jacob, twins. Esau comes out first. He's the firstborn. The rights are his to take over for his father. God doesn't choose the firstborn. He chooses Jacob, the younger, the lesser, the secondborn. Let me ask you, if you were a betting person and you walked into an arena and on one side you've got Andre the Giant and on the other side you have Dennis the Menace with a slingshot and somebody gives you a hundred to what odds, who are, who are you going to be... Nobody's picking Dennis the Menace unless they've seen that movie. Oh, okay. That's why everybody's scared to death when Goliath sat on the field challenging an entire army by himself. Who does God choose? A Dennis the Menace, a, th- a, a young kid with a slingshot. This is how God works. And in the church in Corinth... People think they're experts. They've got some money. They've got some influence now. He's like, remember who you were before. Remember there's an end to your wisdom. Remember there's an end to your influence. Remember there's an end to your power. God chooses the lesser things to show true wisdom and true power. It's, it's the young boy who the father, when the prophet comes to anoint the next king, doesn't even think to bring David in from the field. He just brings all his other sons in. This is how God comes into the world to save us. The foolishness of God destroys the greatest wisdom of man. The weakness of God destroys the greatest power of man. Make sure you're focused on the right wisdom and the right power. Because one will fail you, while the other will bring not only blessing in this life, but rewards eternally. Now watch this. What are those rewards? Look at verse 30. Uh, Go back to verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. None of us are going to stand before the throne of God and say, I bet you're proud of me. Come on, give me a hug. I know you're proud, Daddy. Why does God choose the lowly? Why are we here? Why is it our time in this generation, in this city, to stand for God, to be his image bearers, to proclaim the folly of his gospel, 
to practice the foolishness of preaching the word of the cross. Why are you here? God loves to take the lowly things. Because in the kingdom of God, what ends all division amongst God's people? When our eyes are on us, our situations. I hate situational ethics. I just hate it. If a tree was in the woods and no one was there to hear it fall, would it, would it, would it make a sound? Ah, Jesus is the Christ! When our eyes are on Jesus, there is no division because nobody's boasting in their wisdom. Nobody's boasting in their power. Nobody's saying, look what I did. Look what I've done. Look what I've become. All our boasting is in the Lord and the Lord alone. And because of him, who? God. You are. What's the benefit of all the wisdom of the world putting it on the side and seeking the wisdom of God? What do, I, what do I say all the time? And where did these phrases even come from? What God says is more important than what we think. When we read something in the Bible we don't like, we don't change the Bible. Instead, we change our minds. Where do phrases like that come from? It comes from taking the wisdom of the world and laying it down and only seeking the wisdom that comes from God. Because that's where true wisdom is found. The world will tell you you're crazy. Oh, but life and meaning and purpose and joy that will never, even in the darkest nights, even when the storm won't seem to end, joy in the Lord, peace walking in the shalom of God, holistic peace, being right with the creator of all things. Man, there is joy here, even in all the hardships of life. Joy that the wisdom of this world will never give. Power. Power corrupts. And ultimate power corrupts ultimately. Absolutely. It happens. I've seen good men fall to worldly wise man and to worldly power. But to those of us in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. First thing we get is we look to the cross that the world thinks is foolish. So we get the wisdom of God. And there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. There's a lot of smart people, amen? Oh, Harvey Weinstein thought he was pretty smart. But not only is he in jail, I mean, he built a business. He knew how to deal with people. He became a famous name, a power you king of Hollywood. He's sitting in prison, already sentenced. Keep getting sentenced for more time in prison while he's already in there. He had knowledge. He didn't have wisdom. I'm telling you, worldly wise man, business guy, wisdom of God. Let it help you in your business. Don't take, I praise God for Warren Buffett, but even he's not doing so hot now. We get the wisdom. Wisdom is taking knowledge and being able to apply it in a way that benefits and brings blessing and flourishing in your life. And we get the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. We also get his righteousness. And this is, a, this is the courtroom terminology. This is the part of the gospel that is uh, a judge's gavel drops and declares we who are innocent, uh, we who are guilty, innocent. Legally declared, 
We don't deserve it. It's the grace of God. We deserve death and hell. But legally, we are declared righteous in Christ Jesus. This is what he does. This is the wisdom of God, the power of God. The guilty are made innocent. The lion sleeps with the lamb. We get sanctification. Past, present, and future. This is a church that needs a lot of work, amen? But they're already, chapter one, sanctified, set apart for God. Just like God's people delivered out of Egypt. They are his people, even though they got a lot of Egypt to still get out of them. We've been sanctified. We're being sanctified. We're going to see Paul call a lot of sin out. Repent of this. Repent of that. We're being sanctified. We already are, positionally. But right now, we're continuing in our sanctification until we are perfectly sanctified, which is the doctrine of glorification that happens at the return of Christ when this decaying, corruptible body becomes incorruptible, fully sanctified for eternity with Christ and redeemed, the redemption of Christ Jesus. This is a term that comes from the the commerce slave culture of the ancient world. Because people were bought and sold, and, and most people talk about free will in the ancient world. You talk about destiny and fate. You didn't talk about free will. Because you didn't have the, the opportunity to. Because you probably belonged to somebody. You didn't have options. You didn't have choices. There was no, I wonder if I'm a boy or a girl. There was none of that going on. Except with the Greeks who are gay perverts. (laughs) Redemption is being bought with a price. We had no freedom. But in Christ Jesus, freedom has been purchased. We no longer are slaves to sin and death. We are free, redeemed, ransomed from sin and death. Free in Christ Jesus to be the people whom he's called us to be. This is the wisdom. This is the power of God. And this ends divisions in the church when we understand these things. Because so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It is his work and not our own. And his work, our eyes upon him, leads us out of the deep sleep of Pleasure Island. And hungry and thirsty. For him in a world that thinks he's foolish. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you. Do what only you can do in the hearts of your people. It is in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.